and as you do so, uh, be helpful uh, to you, helpful to me to know that you're following in uh, the Bibles, page 1147, 1147, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You may uh, also uh, find it helpful, uh, just in case I get lost, to know where I'm trying to get to uh, by taking up the uh, uh, sermon outlines. It, they do say on them, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, please, uh, just a reminder, isn't it, that uh, none of us is perfect and uh, we all make mistakes. So uh, that, that is 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, you haven't got the wrong sheets. Well, let's uh, pray now, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that through our Lord Jesus Christ, our past has been pardoned and a new life has begun. And we pray that as we look at your word this morning, you would help us to know how to live that new life to your praise and glory always. Amen. The key matter uh, this morning in our passage is that of judgment. Who should church members go to if they disagree with one another? Now, uh, I suspect that uh, if we'd taken a straw poll before we came in this morning and before we'd heard this passage, that uh, many of us, me included, before I started to look in depth at this passage, would have probably done much the same as the world. We'd have hired a lawyer and we'd have gone down to court to fight for our rights. A bit like perhaps some of the uh, chaps have been doing this week uh, in the postal strike, fighting for their rights as employees and employers. And uh, we'd have gone, fought for our rights in court to get the judgment that we want from the judge of that court. However, however, right from the outset this morning, our passage says that we should be taking a very different course of action. Paul is very blunt and very clear. Just look with me at uh, verse 1. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? This is the question that Paul asks of the Corinthian church. And of course it's a rhetorical question. They should know if they were indeed the mature church that they were claiming to be, if they were the growing and vibrant church that they were claiming to be, then they should have known the answer. But in fact, uh, just like uh, young children dare one another to disobey uh, their earthly father when their father said, you mustn't do this or mustn't do that, and they dare one another to do it. Uh, so Paul is saying to the Corinthians that they are, and indeed we today, if we do not follow these words, we are acting like naughty children, daring one another to do something that our Heavenly Father has forbidden. It's almost as if Paul is saying, look, uh, are you daring one another to go off and do this? Are you pretending that God won't notice, that God won't do anything about it? And as Paul goes on in our passage this morning, he'll say that actually uh, their actions have very serious consequences. And so Paul is hugely concerned for the church because the church has been influenced by the world. Last week we were seeing, weren't we, that uh, the church is to be a pure church. Purity in the church matters because the church is founded upon the cross of Christ. And the church is to be cross-shaped. And this week, we're continuing to build upon that as we see that, the, that judgment matters. 
because if we are a genuine church, we will be cross-shaped and judgment is central within that church. Just let me paint a picture of first century Greek life for you because then you'll begin to understand a little bit about how the church in Corinth has been influenced and indeed has been uh, taken over by the world's thinking on things. These are some words of William Barclay. The Greeks were naturally and characteristically a litigious people. The law courts were in fact one of their chief amusements and entertainments. In a Greek city, every man was more or less a lawyer and spent a very great part of his time either deciding or listening to law cases. The Greeks were in fact famous or notorious for their love of going to law. Someone could have written exactly those same words, couldn't they, about us in the 21st century. 20 centuries later, we are living in a world that's just exactly the same. A world that is saying to us, correspond to, live by the way that we live, not by the way of the cross. And what Paul is saying is that the way the world does it is not to be the way that we do it. Because the church is shaped by the cross of Christ, by the message of Jesus Christ, crucified for our sins. The cross shapes the church, not the culture of the world. And of course, to suggest otherwise betrays our conflict of interest, doesn't it? So if we're people who are saying, I demand my rights, and if I behave in a worldly way about that, well then indeed the church very quickly becomes out of shape. It's a bit like... uh, I guess many of us men don't knit, but if our ladies were to be knitting and knitting a jumper and started using two totally different patterns, the result would be an absolute mess. And that is what Paul is saying has happened in the church. The church should be cross-shaped, but it's being culturally shaped by the way in which the world goes to court and treats law. And Paul in these verses says that's a very, very frightening situation. Because God will judge us as he judges the world. If you're not sure about that, can I just give you a foretaste of where we're heading? Just look down at verse 9 with me and I will read to you. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. As we see later, Paul is placing the Corinthians in their attitudes to going to court alongside people who are living godless lives. And Paul says, they will be judged. You will be judged. So friends, judgment really does matter. And it's really a matter for all of us to be concerned with here at Christ Church Forward. And we need to be realistic, don't we? Uh, Our church can look like a bed of roses, but underneath the surface, church life won't always be harmonious. In a church our size, there are always going to be disputes. For example, there may be a a Christian employee who has has a dispute with his Christian boss, a Christian landlord with his Christian tenant. Two siblings in the church may disagree as to how to divide the inheritance that they've been left. A Christian marriage may break down and husband and wife can't agree. A Christian business partnership may turn sour. These things do and will happen. And it may well be that that strikes a chord with where your life is at the moment. 
These things were happening in Corinth. They're probably happening here. And Paul says that is standing us as individuals and the church into great danger. So let's sit up and take notice of what Paul says. And let's notice first off that Paul has a focus of judgment in verses 2 through to 4, a focus on judgment. Just notice how in these verses Paul tells the Corinthians that they've lost the plot, that if they are going to worldly authorities about an issue, then they've lost sight of who they really are. So, verse 2, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? We may think that these kind of matters that I've already been mentioning, the things that are going on in your lives, are far better dealt with by the world. We think that they are the professionals, don't we? But what does God, God's word here tell us about who the professionals are? The professionals are the saints. I'm not talking about people like Roger Moore, the saint. I am talking about you and me, if we are in Jesus Christ this morning. Those who believe in Jesus, live with him as Saviour and Lord. People shaped by the cross. You and I. We are the professionals. Now I think it's worth emphasising at this stage that we're talking about civil issues, civil disputes. We're not talking about criminal cases here. Uh, The Bible's very clear. Uh, Romans chapter 13, the first five verses, remind us that criminal law is part and parcel of the state's provision. It's what God has done through the state. We're talking here about civil issues. So how are we to be involved in judgment? Well, I think there are uh, two judgments in view here. First off, there's the judgment in the future. In those verses I just read us, we are told that Christians will share in the judgment of the world. That you and I, if we are Christians here this morning, we are going to be like the law lords in the greatest legal act of history and of eternity, judging the world. That is what is happening in the future. And so, Paul says, in the present, because of that future, Christians are to stand in judgment in the church. You see, if we're capable of acting like the supreme law lords of history and time, as we will be in the future, then we're more than capable of acting as the justices of the peace here in this place in forward, in a back street courtroom, in someone's living room, in the church centre. I wonder if that blows your minds. It should do, because it tells us who we are and how we're to act. And Paul goes on, verse 4, to say this, Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church, I think Paul is saying here to the Corinthian church, it's another uh, dig, isn't it, at the Corinthian church that thinks it's so mature. If you really were mature, even the most incompetent would be capable of judging your cases, of settling the case. 
And of course, if, if you're sitting here this morning wondering, well, am I competent to judge? I'm not very wise. Well, if you're a Christian of even some standing, of any length of maturity, then you're one who has the wisdom of God in you. Just look back with me to the first chapter of Corinthians. It's page 1144. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17, 18 and 19. Let me just read to you some words about true wisdom here. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I, God, will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Furthermore, just over on the opposite page, verse 25. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. If you and I are people of the cross, if we are a church of the cross, then we have to believe that, don't we? And we must take our responsibilities to judge seriously. That means both those of us who have disputes in the church and those of us within the church generally. From the greatest to the least, we must play our part in exercising judgment. And even if we are perhaps someone who might consider ourselves the least, we can sit down and talk with people, can't we? Point to them the error of going outside the church. And if they won't listen to us, then bring in a more mature Christian and bring in the eldership eventually, if they still won't listen. That, you see, is what Jesus is advocating in Matthew chapter 18. You may like to turn to it with me. I'm sorry about the finger rustling and the pages. Back at page 985, page 985, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. These are the words of Jesus. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. That's where we're to start. That's where we're to begin. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if you will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. There you go. Take two or three of your friends in the church. Two or three, not even necessarily your friends, but members of the church family with you. And then if that doesn't work, they still won't see sense. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. We heard last week, didn't we, about expelling the immoral brother? This is what we're saying. If someone is, is not going to listen to the word of God, that is the way that they are treating themselves. This is what they're claiming to be. They're claiming not to be of the church. So, it begins, doesn't it, with talking with one another to ensure that if I do have a dispute with my brother, I talk to him. Make sure there's no misunderstanding because that's where the basis of most disputes come. A misunderstanding, not a wrong. And then we're to talk with brother and sister. 
And then maybe with a church eldership, at some later stage, if people still don't listen. And we must encourage one another to do this. This is why I think uh, having small groups and small uh, prayer groups is so important. Because in a church like this, people will get lost. Disputes allowed to fester. But if we're in small groups, then I hope and pray that we'll be mentioning to our friends in those groups when we have a dispute with a brother or sister. And they should urge us to resolve it. They should pray with us, help us to work through it. And then, of course, if we are called to judge, when we do judge, we must judge with humility, recognising that none of us is better to judge if we're mature than another person. All we're doing is just performing the role that God has called us to perform. So, friends, judgment in the church does matter because judgment here and now is caught up with eternal judgment in the future. We're called to judge now because one day in the future we will be called to judge the world. And we're not only called to judge, we are competent to judge. Those words should be sufficient for us. But Paul knows that some of us will still need to be convinced, as he knew that the Corinthians would still need to be convinced even further. And so he continues to do that in the next few verses. And I'm just going to highlight four reasons from the following verses why, if we do not judge now, we continue to deny the cross of Christ and our place in his family and church. Because it denies who Jesus is, it denies why he came and died, and it denies his claim on our lives. So let's look at these then now. The first of them is that uh, it's a denial of God's purposes and provision for his church. Verse 5 tells us that. That if we won't judge, we are denying God's calling and we're denying that he's equipped us as a church to do exactly that. Let me just read from verse 4 just to put 5 in context. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Those words must have hurt the Corinthians. They thought they were so wise and mature because it suggests that there was no one wise enough. No one had even gone past first base in the Christian life, let alone a mature person. And of course, Paul's irony should but not be lost on us either. We as a church, if we're a mature church, if we allow people to go outside the church fellowship, and deny, and deny judgment within the church, then we're denying our purpose and God's provision. No, you see, the only response if we're doing that must be to return to the cross afresh, mustn't it? To see the way in which we have been rescued from the ultimate judgment in the future. Because when we realise that, then we get judgment in this world in perspective. So first off then, it's a denial of God's purposes and provision. Secondly, it's damaging to the witness of God's church. Verse 6. But instead, instead of going to the church, one brother goes to, the law, goes to law against another. And this in front of unbelievers. See, what Paul is saying is, 
Do you see what you're doing, Corinthians? Might be saying it to us here this morning. Do you know what you're doing, Church of Christ Church? Do you know what you're doing by going to the courts of the world? You're airing your disputes before people who are unbelievers, people who are lost, people who have yet to hear and respond to the gospel. What is your presence at that court saying about the gospel that you are wanting to tell them? At best, it's unhelpful. At worst, it's going to put them off the gospel that you're trying to tell them. Because the gospel has at its heart judgment and forgiveness. And yet, by the mere fact that you yourselves are seeking judgment and not offering forgiveness to your, to your brother, what does that say about the gospel? It undermines it, doesn't it? No, you see. Going outside the church family damages the witness of God's church. It puts people in peril in eternal judgment. Third off, it's a defeat for all the church, verses 7 and 8. Paul's argument here is that a Christian, him or her, has already lost their case by going to the court outside the church. Regardless of the verdict that is given, it's a lose-lose situation the minute you walk outside the church and into a court. There's no winners when this happens. Let me read you verse 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. It's better, he says, to have been wronged, to have been cheated. Because it's denying, it's denying that the church should have judged in the first place. So it's showing that the church is defeated because it hasn't been allowed to judge properly. But more than that, more than that, it shows that the individual Christians have not trusted God to provide judgment within his own church. It denies, doesn't it, God's work within his church. And I wonder, as you uh, heard those words read, why not rather be wronged or cheated if you thought about the one who himself was wronged above all else, who himself was cheated out of a fair trial, condemned, let out to die, innocent of all crime, to die upon a hill outside Jerusalem. He who carried our guilt to the cross. You see Jesus, ready and willing, ready and willing to be wronged, to be cheated for our sake. Do you see how this is a denial when we go to the worldly courts? It's a denial because it's saying, look, actually, hang on a second. Brother, you've wronged me. Just look at how you've wronged me. Jesus said, turn the other cheek, didn't he? And yet all we do by going to the courts of the world is saying, brother, you've wronged me. Look at the cheek. It's still red. It's still smarting. Oh, and by the way, still look at it again. You see, we aren't turning the cheek as Jesus told us to do. We're not giving forgiveness as Jesus has forgiven us. So once again, isn't it, it's the, re the remedy to this is a return to the cross. Because if we're going down this route, we have denied the cross. And if we've gone down this route, then we must go to the brother or sister that we've wronged 
and ask for forgiveness. And if we ourselves have been wronged, we must go and offer that forgiveness. Because it is that forgiveness that lies at the heart of the Christian faith, at the heart of the cross-shaped church. Do you not see why, therefore, it is a defeat for the whole church? Because the church has been shown it can't judge and be the church it should be. And the people themselves have shown that they too are not living as Christ would call them to do. And then finally, and perhaps even more worryingly, is it is deceptively dangerous. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. As Paul ends this section, he does so with another question. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Paul's saying, look, it is incredibly dangerous. And if you don't see the danger, you have been deceived already. Because the way that Paul uses those words, end of verse 9, do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, and so on and so on. He speaks about those people as being wicked. Exactly the same word used there as in verse 8 about what a Christian is doing when they take another Christian to court. The wrong there in verse 8 is exactly the same as in verse 9, the wicked. And so do you see what Paul is saying here? What God's word is telling us is that it is dangerous, therefore, to pursue that kind of line of, of redress with your fellow Christian. You see, what Paul is saying is that if we take a brother or a sister to court, we are no different from the unrepentant person who's involved in sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, male prostitution, homosexual offences, thieving, greed, drunkenness, slander, swindle, and so on and so on. Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is what the word of God says. And Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, that if we pursue that course of action by taking a brother or sister to court, then our actions are just like those. This, you see, is why judgment in the church matters. Because of judgment in the future. It's here again, isn't it? Such sins will exclude us from heaven. But of course, as we remember, all of us were once like that. All of us. All of us. And all of us continue to sin. Which is why we could never in and of ourselves have any hope of entering heaven. And that's why the gospel is such a glorious gospel, isn't it? Because it reminds us that we are forgiven through what Jesus has done. That the church is made up of redeemed sinners. Yes, we continue to sin. And we come back to the cross again and again and again. Look at how Paul finishes by reminding the Corinthians of that. He says these words, he says, And that is what some of you once were. You were once sinners. And then the uh, NIV doesn't help us here because it leaves out the word but. So I'll just include it where it should be just to make you understand the full force of Paul's words in verse 11. He says, But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You see, what Paul is saying here is, you once were sinners, but, 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 you have been washed, sanctified, justified. So, he says, live as those who have been put right with God 
And don't go back to sin, albeit another manifestation of sin. It's an amazing picture, isn't it, here, of being washed clean spiritually. Uh, I guess uh, a number of us probably don't play rugby these days. We're probably slightly too old for it, but we can think back to our youth when we might have played sport of one kind or another. Or indeed, perhaps gone for a long muddy walk and we've gone out and we've got thoroughly and utterly caked in mud. We may have slid down the hill and there's mud all over us and all over our clothes. And we come home, we jump into a nice hot shower or bath and the mud is washed away. It's all gone. We're clean. And that is what Paul is saying here, is that if you are a Christian person here this morning, that is what has happened to you in and through what Jesus has done upon the cross. Though our sins were once like scarlet, we are now white as wool. We have been washed, sanctified, made holy, set apart for God, and justified, made as if we have never sinned before. And so, Paul says, live like that. Don't go back to the ways of sinful man. Don't pursue these courses of action through the court. Paul's saying, live out your new identity, your status and your life. Remember what Jesus did for you on the cross and live for him. So, as I close, do you see now why judgment in the church now matters? Because of judgment in the future? I wonder who needs to be reminded of that this morning. I wonder who needs to be reminded of judgment now and our role in that. Who needs to rethink how they are handling a dispute with a brother or sister in Christ? Today would be a good time to return to Christ, wouldn't it? Return to the cross and repent and start again. At the end of the sermon, I'll give you a moment of quiet. Give you the opportunity to make your peace with Christ and then after the service to go on and put that into action with your brother or sister in Christ. To ask for their forgiveness or indeed to give them your forgiveness. That may be the harder thing to do. Who needs to rethink how they are handling a dispute? And then there may be others of us who need to take the responsibility in encouraging other people to deal with their dispute properly and in a biblical way. Sit down with them. Talk it through with them. And if they won't see sense with you, bring in others. And if they won't listen, then bring it to the eldership of the church. And there may be some here who have never perhaps taken God's eternal judgment, let alone his judgment now, seriously. Maybe you have seen today the need to have your sins forgiven because of that judgment in the future. To have your sins forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. So that you can be washed, sanctified, justified, able to meet God in heaven forever and to know him in relationship this, in this life too. If that is you, why not use that moment of quiet I'm going to give us to reach out to Jesus and say, I believe in you. I turn to you. I'm sorry for my sin. I want to live for you. Please forgive me. Maybe that is what you should do in that moment of quiet. So friends, judgment matters to each and every one of us. Our place in heaven depends on our right response to these words. We need to return to the cross as a church and as individuals.
Let's pray. Give us a moment of quiet to think about our response to God. Whether we need to respond to him with judgment in this life at the forefront or judgment in eternity. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are sorry for the ways in which we have denied your judgment through your church in this world and your judgment in eternity. Please forgive us for our misunderstanding and for our deliberate disobedience. And please, in your mercy, And because of your son Jesus' death on the cross, change and transform us, wash us and cleanse us, that we may may indeed be right with you now and in eternity. Give us courage, dear Father, to sort out what needs to be sorted out, not just with you, but with one another. For we ask it for the sake of Jesus Christ, who died for us. Amen.